Palm Sunday. I was intrigued talking to Stephen McElwain this week that he was saying that when they were in Jordan, this was the big day in the church calendar. Bigger, he said, than Christmas and Easter Sunday. So we started pondering that, he and I, because I was kind of quite taken by that. And Stephen's idea, and I suppose where we conclude it, wasn't a long conversation, wasn't deeply theological, we didn't read uh, many books around it, would have been that it's because Jesus is king. Jesus is a winner. Jesus is the one we proclaim as a king. It's interesting. We prefer that Jesus is king in certain parts of the world. And I thought, well, maybe it's not that for us in the numbers that come to church. But I wonder if it's like that in how we actually live our lives. Are we more comfortable with the Jesus who's king than we are with the Jesus who's the lamb to be slain? Are we more comfortable with the one who's being healed by everybody as king rather than the one where they're shouting to crucify him and release Barabbas? As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, I've been pondering this this week because I've I've been doing a a darkness till dawn, I think it is. It's on uh, BBC in, uh, in the evenings this week and I've done Tuesday nights, I think. And um, I did one, and then Mark McCleary rightfully said, Steve, it's not your best. So I went back to the drawing board and, um, and decided to dig a bit deeper. And so I've spent most of last week trying to think about Judas during Easter week. And I'm wondering about Judas as we're coming into Jerusalem here, because was Judas thinking, was, was he going to be with those in Jordan who go to church on Palm Sunday more than they go on the other Sundays? Because actually, hey, we've got him as a king. And as Judas thinking it's all going according to his plan here, and that he's going to do what he said he would do, he's going to overthrow the Romans, and he's going to take Jerusalem over, and he's going to reign this earthly reign. You can imagine what's going on in Judas's heart with the excitement of that. Are all the disciples, as we begin this roller coaster ride into Jerusalem, what they perceived he was going to be as a king and how it turns out as maybe Paul or the early, early hymn writer tells us in Philippians chapter 2. Yes, Jesus is king. Yes, we want to lift his name on high. But what kind of a king is he? And that's where Philippians 2 is a wonderful theology of that. A God who emptied himself. A God who humbled himself. A God who becomes obedient even to death and a cross for others. As I often put it, he who was first in the universe became last in the universe, cursed on a tree, Paul says in Galatians, so that we who were eminently with God would become heirs and joint heirs. He who was first became last, that we who seemed to be last would become first. This is the kind of king we're talking about. Now I'm sure there's those kinds of kings in the history of the world, but they're few and far between, particularly in the Old Testament. This is a different kind of king. 
And as we go through the rest of the week, we need to be asking ourselves how this impacts our own lives. What kind of a king do we follow? Do we follow the Palm Sunday king? Do we follow the Friday and next Sunday king? And are we conflicted a little bit? Do we believe with our heads in Good Friday? But maybe our hearts still yearn for that victorious, that we would win at all costs. And does that affect how we see others? I've got a word in my notes here that I'm scared to say, but let's open it up. Trump. I have been sort of a bit oblivious to it because I have Facebook friends that are saying very different things coming out of America I'm talking about here. And you know the way we hated it when the Americans came and told us how to do things? Donald Trump as president. Now you see, at the start I thought it was a joke. And then I thought, well that'll not last long. And now I'm pretty convinced. We might just get him. Now American evangelicals particularly have been debating this because a lot of evangelical America are supporting him. And many would say that he's anything but what a Christian should be voting for, even in how he goes about the policies, talking about the policies that he's about to bring in. So yesterday I read a fascinating blog by a minister in PCA somewhere in the States, and I got into it because it mentioned that this church did bluegrass, and somebody had tipped Gary Burnett off that he really needed to go to this church, and I went, what sort of church does bluegrass? And then I found this really very well thought through um, discussion about why Donald Trump might be winning evangelical America. And what fascinated me most was that the writer had taken that book that I went on and on about for a couple of years, James K.A. Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom. James K.A. Smith out of Calvin College in Michigan uh, wrote this book, Desiring the Kingdom, where he talked about us not being what we believe, but being what we love. Smith says we're not what we believe, we're about what we love, and there's a difference in that. And he would have talked about how the liturgies around us fire Arcadia with what we love and he would have talked about the shopping mall telling America that actually it's wonderful to shop and there's the liturgies and the seasonal liturgies and you go up and you buy something and you take it to the altar and they check it in and you have this offering and you take it home with you in these cathedral-like buildings and that what he would be saying that is happening in that is that this is reaching the cardia of our heart it's reaching the things that we love and we get a love for it and it takes over our lives and we become shoppers even myself who has no longer any need to shop because the cd world has closed and there's not many bookshops either finds myself in those days when you're a wee bit down wee bit of retail therapy And we can feel good again. Are what we believe? Or are we what we love? Smith would have talked about 
the football stadiums, the sports stadiums, baseball, hockey, American football, where when you go in there and they sing the anthem and you have to put your hand over your heart, there's this groh, that's the Irish word for the cardia. There's this love and this passion that we get for the country, that the country will be better than anything else. Smith talks about the American love for America. Liturgies, he calls them. Liturgies which have not maybe what we believe because the people going to them might believe different things. But they have what they love right down in their hearts. So this PCA pastor took this and he wrote this paragraph. What happens when the liturgies of our greedy culture train evangelicals to love money and power? What happens when the liturgies of talk radio train of evangelicals to love anger and paranoia? What happens when the liturgies of social media train evangelicals to love sensational sound bites more than thoughtful discourse? What happens when the liturgies of modern worship services train evangelicals to love novel, flashy and glib emotional experiences that feel more like a rally than corporate worship? What happens when the conference culture of the church trains evangelicals to love the big celebrity leader? What happens when the preaching that prioritizes relevant, shocking and brash sermons trains evangelicals to love tell-it-all rants? What happens when the liturgies from the days of the moral majority train evangelicals to love America as much as Jesus? which then leads to an incessant longing within the churches to make America great again. What happens? Evangelicals in love with Donald Trump happens. It's fascinating. The liturgies of what we come to love, things that we don't even see as liturgies, as my friend David Dark in his new book, Life's Too Short to Not Be Religious, has said the teleprompter that's in front of us writing our scripts feed into the cardia, the grow and the loves that we have rather than what we believe. Now why would I talk about that on Palm Sunday? Well it seems to me that what that pastor was talking about is a Palm Sunday Jesus. He rules, he's great, he's wonderful, he's the celebrity, he's all of these things. And yet as we read the rest of the week through the eyes of Paul in Philippians 2, we find that this is not a Donald Trump type king, but a humble servant giving himself for others type king. So are we what we believe or are we what we love? What is it that drives our political votes? And there's a couple of those coming up, but let's not get to that now. What drives the European Union or not? What drives who we vote for as MLAs or not? Belief or loves? What we do with our weekends, what we do with our week, what we do with our day, what we do with our money, what we do with our time. 
Do we do those things because we believe or because we want to be king? Where if our Jesus is king, then we are in charge and rule and can do basically what we want because our guy is on the throne in that sense. What about the battles that go on in the body of Christ? Would they go on if the Good Friday Jesus, the Philippians 2 Jesus, was in control? Or is it because of the things we love and we're going to hammer for the things that we love, like a king coming into Jerusalem that causes the divisions? The battles in our country... If people took the attitude of a servant king rather than a Palm Sunday king. The battle to welcome immigrants or not. The interesting thing about Philippians chapter 2 is that Paul doesn't set out to put it in there as a theological statement. He's pastoring the congregation when he brings this hymn into play. He's saying there's a lot of bickering between you. Now, you see this bickering? He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You can see why he's going into that hymn. Because he's saying to them, you need to be humble with one another. You need to see others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's like Christ on Easter week. Who gave himself up for others. So others' interests is more important than himself. This is all based in our relationships. How we do the most Minute of things. Now I did warn you way back in time. And actually the apocalypse didn't happen. We got through the new building. Without too many rows. But I did warn that even within churches. When we're doing different things. There's a tendency to be those. Who would like Jesus. To be the conquering king. Rather than the humbling king. So as we go through. Into this week. How will we see. Jesus. And more importantly, we will allow the Jesus that we see to become the liturgy that changes the teleprompter, that reverses the liturgies of the world around us and gives us a different kind of love because we are what we love, not what we believe. We need to believe things. We need to believe things clearly. But we'll still do what we love. So our beliefs need to become our cardia and our gras and the way we live. How will this week's example of Jesus, as we walk with him towards the cross and resurrection, how will that liturgy push out the liturgies of shopping, the liturgies of celebrity, the liturgies of social media, the liturgies of flags? Will we allow it to? And will this upside-down Jesus become what we really love. Later we'll probably play tonight 
a song by my friend Martin Joseph. And it's glib in places, but it's powerful in places. Strange way to start a revolution. Strange way to get a better tan. Strange way to hold a par breakfast. Strange way to show your business plan. It's a strange way to see if wood would splinter. It's a strange way to do performance art. It's a strange way to say, I'll see you later. It's a strange way to leave behind your heart. Strange dissident of meekness. A nurse of tangled souls. It's so unlike the holy to end up full of holes. It's a strange way. It's not the way of the culture. It's not the way of the society. This is an upside down way. We have a king coming into Jerusalem that some might want to go out and celebrate more than the one we'll see in Good Friday. A strange dissident of meekness. A nurse of tangled souls. It's a strange way. Will we follow? Let's pray. Lord, help us to know there's many liturgies going on around us on a daily basis. Even within the church, there may be liturgies that might not be helpful. Help us to have our lives drenched in the liturgy of Christ. Of this dissident of meekness. This nurse of tangled souls. This God who ruled the universe and became obedient to death on a cross. Lord, may that liturgy so captivate our hearts that our lives would be radically changed because we are what we love. By your Spirit, not only now, but through the rest of this week. Feed us the liturgy of Jesus. Feed us the liturgy of Easter. That we may fall in love right down to the depths of our hearts with this other script. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.